morning. If you noticed in the music this morning, there's been a number of songs, uh, number two, <laughs> but both of them dealt with the return of Jesus Christ in one way or another. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about um, this morning. And then we're going to finish by singing a song that I believe is appropriate, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Because what do you do in the meanwhile while you're waiting for Christ's return? So as we turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, the 8th to the 15th verses, and I need to tell you, I'm not trying, <laughs> I'm not trying to, to make this difficult today, but I'm going to read out of the English Standard Version of the Bible the text, then I'm going to read it to you again, because I like the message's way of saying this, but you'll get the English Standard, which is real close to the King James, and then you will hear the message. It goes like this. Why don't you just stand with me for the first reading? Don't forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy, and godly lives, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destructions of the heaven by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of the word this day. The message this hour and the people of God gathered online in this place and in the future where they might hear this. Help the preacher to preach. Send your Holy Spirit to strengthen. Send your Holy Spirit to speak into our hearts and lives your message. Lord, place me behind the cross and may Jesus be seen clearly. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. As I told you, I want to read this to you again out of the message. And it's read like this from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 15. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience is salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. Don't overlook the obvious here, friends. With God, one day is as good as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as good as a day. God isn't late with his promise, as some of us measure lateness. He's restraining himself on account of us. He's holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone lost. He's giving everyone the space, and the time to change. 
If I were to title today's message, it would be, What's the Hold Up? What's the Hold Up? Do you ever hear that phrase? What's the Hold Up, right? What on earth is God holding back for? What, what's he waiting on? You know, I have, I have um, begun something new, and I know for a fact that if someone here hasn't seen me, at some day you're going to. And, you know, there are things that you do. I, I mean, you know, I am your pastor. I'm an ordained elder in a Methodist church. I'm supposed to wear the tie, put on the robe, and do all those things. Unfortunately, you got sold <laughs> a bill of goods. <laughs> um, I, I do things a little bit different sometimes, a little bit unorthodox at times. And this has nothing to do with my pastoral role, but sometimes things upset people when they see them. I remember years ago, very early in my ministry, someone in the middle of the night saw me walking out of a bar, and they were upset by that, okay? Today, you just come in and sit down with me. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I was there to get somebody. But here's what I've started doing that's different, that some of you one day might see. I have ridden a motorcycle since I was 12 years of age. I have 98% of the time worn a helmet. You would never see me without a helmet unless I didn't have a helmet and had to move from one point to the next point. But my thinking has changed, and I've reached an age where my kids are raised, and, you know, the payoff for my wife is pretty good if something happens. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but I don't always wear a helmet. And as of late... I've really not been wearing a helmet. You know, a few years ago, I put speakers into our, our helmets so we could talk to each other, and we love to do that. If she's with me, I wear the helmet so we can talk. But if I'm by myself, I get on that bike. It's got stereo. It's got front and back speakers. And I will crank them up, and I will take nice, long rides all over the state of Ohio just to release a little bit of pressure. And the whole time I'm going, I'm cognizant of the fact that if that thing goes down, I'm probably not going to make it. But I do that. And here's what really bugs me about you seeing it. It's not that you'll see me without a helmet. A good friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, actually pulled up to a, to a, a stoplight with me a few days ago, a few weeks ago. And it rolled his window down and looked at me and said, where's your helmet? I said, roll your window back up. But... What I'm worried you'll see is that when that radio's playing, I am singing. Yesterday, I rode uh, to a park that I used to frequent when I was a young person. And the whole way there, all the way down Fulton, all the way down 77, all the way across 30, through East Canton, the whole nine yards, I am singing. And I'm riding that bike, and everybody sees it, and I am singing loud. I, I went to Sam's Club when I got back to get gas, and I pulled into the gas pump, and I got Chris Tomlin on there playing How Great Is Our God. And I'm putting the gas in my car, and the lady in the pump, who I couldn't see, sticks her head around the corner and says, I love your music. <laughs> I just like to sing, but I'm, I'm leaving town yesterday, and it occurred to me, I probably look like a complete fool. I'm singing, riding my motorcycle. That's okay. What on earth 
are we waiting for? Has God gotten so wrapped up that he's forgotten we're here? Peter writes and says this, according to his promise, we're waiting. We're waiting for God to do something for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We don't like to wait. I don't like to wait. And when you're looking towards something as specific and as important as the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and what it ought to mean to Christians, the wait can get worse. Lord, how long? Do I believe the Lord's going to return? Yes, I do. Do I think it will be a physical reality? Yes, I do. Do I look to it with deep anticipation? Yes, I do. God, where are you? Why are we still waiting? You promised it. And one day that will be beautiful and a wonderful day that is just full of wonder. But why are you waiting? I've mentioned to you quite a few times that song by the Gaithers that I love, but it paints a picture for me of what that day will be like. What a day that will be when my Jesus I will see, when I look upon the face of the one that saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. Peter asks the question, what are we waiting for? I want you to listen. I'm going to read again verses 12 to 14. The reason I want you to listen is for you to hear how many times Peter uses the word waiting. He says we're waiting for and we're hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, because you're waiting for these, be diligent that you are found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. We're waiting because we're looking forward to something. We're expecting God to do this. We're expecting for it to get better. Not just better, but for it to return to what he intended. We're expecting the very best. And we can open our eyes wide as we want and look deeply. Sometimes in this world it's hard to see that it's really going to be that good. So what on earth, God, are you waiting for? When these words were written in 2 Peter, the writer believed that it would be any day now. The Old Testament prophets even spoke to the coming of Christ the second time. Jesus himself spoke about it. And we've been here for 2,000 years as the body of Christ. And for some of us, that question, how long, Lord, how long, has turned to, into are you sure, Lord? Are you sure? You see, actually, Peter is quoting Psalm 90 here. And when he says this, a thousand years is in your sight or but yesterday when it's past, like a watch in the night. He's quoting that when he says a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. You and I, we see time a certain way. 60 seconds gives us a minute. 60 minutes gives us a uh, an hour, 24 hours give us a day, 30 days give us a month, and 365 days or 12 months give us a year. 
sometimes those waiting times, those, those, those notions of time are so hard for us to get through. God built us for eternity, but sin has separated us from that notion. It's hard for us to see the way God sees. We see tomorrow and God sees infinity, both frontwards and backwards. I have found that I'm beginning to forget things. A friend of mine telling me a story the other day, and as he's telling me, I know he's got it all wrong. He's beginning to forget things. Who was there? What the details were? Can I tell you something? Not only does God have all of that correct, he's got all of this correct. So what's the holdup? What is, what, is, what is our weight about? Maybe the question needs to be turned around, and we need to ask the question, what's God's weight about? Maybe it's not about how we see it from where we're at. Maybe we need to look to see what God's intention is. I read a book a number of years ago, and I've told you about it seven, several times. It, it will tell you that the book had an impact on me. It was by Leslie Weatherhead. It's very thin. Those are the books we like. And it's called The Will of God. And in that book, Leslie Weatherhead identifies the fact that God has three different kinds of will. It's his intentional will. It's what he intended when this world started, when he created us, when he threw it all in order and got it spinning and rotating and the temperature's all right and everything working the way it does. But there's the circumstantial will of God. The circumstantial will of God is this. We were given free will and we sinned. Because we sinned, God's intentional will could not take place. His will was that we'd be with him. His will was that we'd dwell in his presence. But he's a holy God and our sinful choices and our sinful nature separate us from him. So you've got the intentional will of God to be with us. The circumstantial will of God, he can't be with us because of the circumstance that we sin. But then there's the ultimate will of God and that's the one that I want to get to here. God's got purpose. God has purpose in spite of you and me. So God, what are you waiting on? Well, Peter says, according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. We're waiting not only for God's original intention, what it was like in the garden, but we're waiting for his ultimate intention, the place where there's a new heaven, a new earth, and God's ultimate righteousness exists. You know, Jesus, not Jesus, Matthew, in his gospel, spoke often about a thing called the kingdom of heaven. Remember these words from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. You know, Jesus took that message and really ran with it. Repent, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He, lift up, he lifted up his, his eyes and looked on his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. John the Baptist said, Repent, for the kingdom is just around the corner. And that kingdom came walking one day into the river with John and was baptized by him. 
And when John says, I can't do this, did you ever pay attention to what Jesus said? Suffer it to be so now, to fulfill all righteousness. See, that's what God's kingdom is about. What did Peter say we're waiting on? We're waiting for a new heaven, a new earth, where God's righteousness dwells. When Jesus came into time and space, God's intentional and ultimate will was in front of us. It was living. It was breathing. This is what righteousness looks like. This is what it looks like. And so he cast out demons. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He leveled the playing field. He made the high places low, the low places high, the rocky places smooth. He did what God said the kingdom should be like. You see, the kingdom of God was palpably, physically available in the person of Jesus Christ. But you know what he did? One day he looked at his disciples and said, you now transmit this. I'm giving it to you. Not just, not just the ability, but the responsibility. You take the kingdom and you make it work. You've seen it, so blessed are you for the things you've seen and blessed are you for the things you hear. Take it into the world. You know, John the Baptist is sitting in a jail cell and he sends out a message to Jesus. By the way, he's about to get beheaded, just so you know. Sitting in a jail cell and he sends a message to Jesus and he asks this question. Are you the one that we've been looking for, the one that is to come? Or should we just wait and look for another? Before I tell you what Jesus said to that, I want you to hear what John the Baptist is saying. We've been waiting so long, and I really thought you were it. But it's looking to me like this can't be right. Can you identify with John the Baptist? I mean, stop for a minute and think about this, folks. Have you watched the news lately? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. I mean, it's bad. It'll drive you to ask the question, Lord, how long? How long? That's what John's asking. Lord, we, we, we thought you were going to set this right. We, I really believed you were it. Am I waiting for somebody else? Jesus sends back the message. You go and tell John what you hear and you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is saying the kingdom has arrived. But now it's your responsibility to take that kingdom into the world. And so you ask the question, Lord, how long, how long? And we look at it from our perspective, this side of heaven. Lord, how much longer do we have to see this? How much longer do we have to endure this? Lord, when are you going to do what you promised? But when you turn and look at it from God's perspective, God is asking the same question of us. How long until you really live righteously? How long until you really are faithful to what I've called you to? 
If the kingdom arrived in the person of Jesus and he's given it to us to carry it out, the trajectory of the church should be that we are reaching into the neighborhood, into the world, all places that we have influence in to share that very kingdom. Because the kingdom's here. It's you. you say, Whoa, Joel, hold up. Hold up a minute. Yeah. You say, well, why is God waiting? Because he's waiting on us. He is a good, good father. He is a great God. And he's somebody that we ought to wait around or ride around on our motorcycles without a helmet singing loudly about. The world ought to see it. Because God's waiting with a purpose. Peter says all these things will be dissolved. What sort of people should we be in holiness and godliness? What sort of people should we be? I'm just going to stop and let that question dangle for a minute. Am I what I should be for the sake of the kingdom? I don't need to take a scorecard out and tell you my sins, and you don't need to take your scorecard out and tell me my, your sins, but the reality is, are we what we're supposed to be? You see, in this verse, when it says what sort of people we ought to be in our lives, that means our behavior. How should we behave? In holiness. Holiness is God's innermost nature. Holiness represents the fact that God is omnipotent, eternal, and glorious. It should evoke awe. Think about that for a minute. When you witness for Jesus, does it put anybody in awe? Does your life live it lived out in such a way that people look and say, man, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I want to be like that? He who called you, you also should be holy in your conduct, for it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. That's 1 Timothy 4.8. You know, Paul tells us in his letters, I'm not going to go down that road, I'm going to move on, the 14th verse. Therefore, beloved. You see, the question that Peter asked is, How long, Lord, how long? And then he said, you know, uh, really what we need to understand here is, is that God's waiting. And what's he waiting on? He's waiting for the kingdom of righteousness to come. But he's waiting on us. And so in the 14th verse, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for this, be diligent to be found without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, that's a tough, tough verse. To be blameless. To be blameless. Most of you know that that wonderful puppy dog of mine, Bo, um, because our, our, our that vacation south got extended by my sister-in-law's funeral, we made the decision that he would not go to a kennel, that he would go with us. And I'll just confess to you that both of us, though we didn't speak it to each other, <laughs> both of us had nightmares in our head about how this was going to go. I mean, mine involved divorce attorneys. Uh, <laughs> 
Janice is involved a plane ticket. She told me that yesterday. Do you know what happened? He was the best little puppy. He didn't chew anything up. He didn't tear anything up. We would go out and go for bike rides for, you know, good little peace. And he was the best that he could be. Now, the reason I tell you that is because when he does do something wrong, and he hasn't done anything wrong, he's growing up, he's maturing. But when he would do something at home, if he would pick up something and chew it up, the same thing came out of my mouth to him every time. I would point at what he did, and I would say, did you do this? And you know what he did? His head would go like this. Uh, all, all you got to say to him, he'll have to do anything. He'll just walk up to him and say, did you do this? He'll go like this. Peter is asking the question here. Can you be blameless? Well, you know we can't. But with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we can do what we can to at least try to live blameless lives. You ever been blamed? I've been asked plenty of times, did you do this? There have been plenty of times when I had to raise my hand and say, yes, I did. God doesn't want us to be perfect. But he does want to be us to be representative of his kingdom. Notice the last word in this verse. I hope it's up on the screen. At peace. You see, what really motivates the fact that we're waiting on God is the fact that we're not at peace. We look around us, we see a world that's fallen apart. And we ask ourselves the question, we ask God the question, how long? How long? How long? It's because we, we, we you know, we need to be careful when the world is saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. We need to recognize that this world will never be at peace until the kingdom of God is ushered in. And so when, when Peter says, we're waiting for this, to be without blemish, without spot in this world, to live lives for our behavior to be holy, even as he is holy, we need to recognize that that is the only kind of life that will give us peace. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not the peace that the world gives do I give to you. My peace I give to you. Do you ever, you ever feel like your world's chaos? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this quick. I got into a mess this week. I... I Debbie is on vacation. Debbie Pellegrino is on vacation. But I made her swear that she would not tell you this or tell anybody this. There would be no story. She could not confess that she saw this. This past week, I had to move something. It was on a big trailer, and I pulled it up to the back steps of the church. It weighed over 1,000 pounds. <laughs> I'm moving it in the side door of the church, and guess what happened? It is half on the trailer, half in the door of the church, and it stopped moving. I couldn't get it to budge. And I'm trying to push, and I'm trying to pull, and I'm trying to jack, and I'm trying to shove, and it should have went, but it wouldn't go. Pulled out my phone. I said, oh, no, don't, don't, don't call Bob Dorshuk. 
you don't want you, you don't want him to see this. I put it back in my pocket. I said, well, call Eric. No, Eric told me he was busy this week. And I said, well, I'm going to have to call Debbie. And I picked up my phone, and chaos was added to. My daughter called me. She says, Dad, <laughs> my husband's in Virginia, and I'm broke down on 77, and I really need you right now. <laughs> I said, Ariel, you have no idea what kind of problems I'm having right now. You are going to have to wait an hour and a half. You ever feel like that's your life? By the way, Debbie came and saved the day. You didn't know she could lift a thousand pounds, did you? (laughs) When those things are going on in our life, when the world around us is falling apart, when there's illness and sickness and the unknown lies in the future, how, Jesus, can you speak to us and say you're giving us your peace? Because he died on a cross and gave it to us so that we could know that no matter what the circumstance is, we could live for him. And we could have that peace, not the peace the world gives, the peace that only Christ could give. And that leads me to my bottom line. What's God waiting on? He's waiting on us. You see, God's patience, God's patience, it it actually is reflective of our procrastination. God's patience is his call to us to repentance. He's not willing that any of us should perish. Peter tells us why this isn't over now. It's not over now because the Lord's waiting for us to come to salvation. The Lord's waiting for us. He's long-suffering towards us. And it's meant to lead us to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient, not wishing that any of us would perish, but that we would reach repentance. God's patience is his call to repentance. Now, church, let me just stop and say this to you. You can say, man, Joel, what's that got to do with us? Well, if we are the kingdom of God in this time and in this place, because Jesus left and gave us the Great Commission, it means that that call to Christ now is ours. It means that 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 call of Christ to lead others to the kingdom is ours. We, We live it out. That's one way we lead people there. Somebody may look at you and say, the way you live, I knew you were, I knew you were a Christian. But it also could be that we need to be a little bit more direct. That we need to sing so the world sees us singing. So we need to shout out the message, even if it's not the way we would say it or the way we would do it. We need to tell others that this kingdom, this kingdom that we enjoy, that God's blessed us with, that peace which I have can be theirs. And God's given it to me to tell, th- tell you, so let me tell you. Amen. You know what you do when you're waiting? You either get real nervous about the wait, or you live at peace with it. And I think that's probably what led the songwriter to write this next song, It's sweet when you're trusting in Jesus. So let's sing it together.